0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in marketing, especially digital marketing, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has worked for some marquee brands and companies doing just that. And P.S. She's less than 10 years out of college. But before I introduce you to Emily Hughes, Marketing Lead at Mobilize.com, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek at the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. And I promise you, it is super easy to sign up. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at Time, the number 4, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my digital natives, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Emily Hughes, the marketing lead at Mobilize, the events management and volunteer recruitment platform that connects mission-driven organizations and their supporters. Emily is a self-described growth marketer and business strategist who started out her career in 2012 as an account coordinator at Hager Sharp. It's now a 100% employee-owned, full-service, integrated communications and marketing firm that focuses on public interest and public sector issues and organizations. From Hager Sharp, Emily moved to American Express Publishing as manager of digital communications and social marketing. And within about a year, she became the associate marketing manager of audience development, also at American Express Publishing, which was shortly thereafter purchased by Time Inc. From there, Emily transitioned to Hollywood celebrity Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle and wellness brand, Goop. As its 23rd hire and first ever digital marketing employee. She was the director of audience development. And by the next year, Emily had co founded her own digital marketing consultancy in the media and e commerce space. And we're gonna be getting into that and so much more in just a few minutes. But first, Emily, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated? (laughs) Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Sorry, I have my little, you know, spiel that I go through, but I'm so glad that you're here and I know you like to drink tea. Have you had your tea this morning? Yes, I had a great ginger peach black tea, so I'm ready. Mm, Love it. And was it hot or was it iced?
1: (laughs) I went hot this morning, though I sort of regret that since it's 90 degrees outside. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We're doing this
0: interview (laughs) in mid-July, and so, yeah, it's a little a little warmer. Although sometimes drinking warm drinks, and I know they say that in tropical climates, can actually bring your temperature down.
1: Oh, you're full of fun facts, Andrea. (laughs) This is not the first time you've surprised me with one. Oh my
0: gosh. Emily, I have lived a lot in my 56 years. That's all I can say. But I want to let our listeners know, because whenever I can remember to do this, I like to share with T4C listeners how I know my guests or how we've met. Sometimes it's people that I've just cold emailed on LinkedIn or on their company website. But in our case, we have a mutual friend, the amazing Annie Llewellyn, who introduced us.
1: Yes, Annie and I met at Mobilize. She was consulting for us. And she's just wildly impressive human being. And I'm very grateful she introduced us.
0: Well, me too. And another amazing thing about Annie, in addition to being an incredibly smart and super strategic person, is that she has some of the best energy, the most wonderful, upbeat, loving, caring person. She's very calming, too. She is. She's just amazing. And I am so grateful that she connected me with you. And in a few minutes, I am going to be allowing our young listeners to hear for themselves what a rock star you are. Oh, because gosh, Emily, you. I no, I don't want to embarrass you. Because one of many things that I am super impressed by is that you have so much wisdom about life, about priorities, in addition to the professional wisdom and experience that you have. And I didn't realize, Emily, until I started researching you, just how young you are.
1: (laughs) And I was trying to do the math. I just turned 30 about six weeks ago. So just entering my new decade. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well,
0: I want you to know, I remember turning 30 and that's like one of these, you feel like, oh my God, I'm not a kid anymore. And I'm now in a new decade. You are still super young. And what you have accomplished in such a short time since you graduated from college is so impressive. But why don't we kick things off by talking about where you are Right now, where you and Annie got to know one another, and that is the company that you are now, the marketing lead at, Mobilize.
1: Yes. So Mobilize, I've been there about eight months. We are the events management and volunteer recruitment platform that connects mission-driven organizations and supporters. So if you were to attend a Joe Biden event or a Planned Parenthood or human rights campaign, or when we all vote, you would be signing up through the Mobilize platform. So, we are a B2B tech platform that facilitates kind of those volunteer opportunities, and I oversee their marketing. So, long story short, I help the company grow. I oversee everything that helps us meet various revenue goals at the company. So, that includes email marketing, social media, SEO, partnerships advertising events, design, press, really anything that helps us acquire new customers and then retain them as well.
0: Okay. I want to just rewind a teeny bit and go back to Mobilize because you said if people were going to participate in, I guess right now, because of the coronavirus, it would all be virtual events for Joe Biden, that it would be through the Mobilize platform. Is that any Joe Biden event?
1: Yes. So every single Joe Biden event is on Mobilize right now. And it's how they collect data and keep everyone engaged and build a community around that movement. So if you sign up for an event on their site, you'll notice it takes you to a URL that starts with mobilize.us. And that's our platform. So they have their own feed on our platform it, that integrates with their website. And that's their central destination for all supporters.
0: How long has Mobilize been around and what does it do that maybe some of these other event organizing platforms don't do?
1: Yeah. So it's been around since early 2018. It's founded by Alfred Johnson and Alan Kramer. Alfred is formerly an Obama staffer and Alan campaigned for Hillary and they both also have business consulting backgrounds. There's a bunch of things we do that's different. We save time for organizers. So the people whose jobs it is to wrangle all these volunteers and supporters and host these events, we save them time by automating a lot of the daily tasks, whether it's following up with supporters, sending them post-action surveys to see what they thought and collecting that feedback, any sort of like design elements, like we have a pre-made feed for them to use so they don't have to custom code it we also have a massive network. So we have over 2.2 million volunteers have taken action on Mobilize. So every organization who joins us has access to that amazing network, almost as if it was a social network. So friends are prompted to bring their friends to events, they're prompted to donate, organizations can cross promote each other's events. So there's all these different opportunities to get in front of new audiences that you wouldn't have access to unless you were on the Mobilize network.
0: Okay. Got it. Now, you joined, as you said, eight months ago. you Mobilize's, I think, 28th hire and yes. first dedicated marketing employee. You started listing off some of your responsibilities. Your resume says that you oversee acquisition and retention, but it doesn't say of what or of whom.
1: Great question. I should probably specify that on my resume. I'm responsible for acquiring, most importantly, new clients. So going out and talking to nonprofits and advocacy organizations, political campaigns, labor unions, governments, really any sort of mission-driven entity, my marketing has to help bring them on as paying clients to the platform, and then making sure that we're providing them value so that they want to keep using the platform, since at the end of the day, we are a tech business. The secondary part of my job is more B2C and helping to scale our volunteer networks. And the more volunteers we have on it, the more these mission-driven organizations can benefit and can really achieve their mission. So there is some work we do of getting our name brands out there and making sure volunteers know about us and that we can be their go-to source for getting involved for any sort of cause that they're passionate about.
0: Okay. So often with these tech startups there's venture capital involved. Is this venture funded or is this privately funded?
1: We are venture funded. We just closed a series A in January of just shy of 4 million. So yes, we are venture funded and well positioned to kind of ride out the crazy storm of COVID-19.
0: Congratulations.
1: (laughs) That's, I'm (laughs) a big
0: relief. Oh my God. For those who may not know what Series A is, and Emily, please step in if I mischaracterize this, usually a startup gets off the ground with either self-funding or what's known as like friends and family round, where you're just tapping into your own network to try to get some money. And then the first external, in other words, people you don't know, usually venture money is called a Series A. Is that
1: right? Yeah, there may be a small phase in between the two where you take some angel investors. Yes. Um, some wealthy individuals who are investing in companies as well as Series A, you would work with a venture capital firm. And it's really the point where you've kind of proven that there's product market fit and that the founders are worth investing in. And that's where the Series A comes in.
0: Thank you so much. That was a big miss on my part. So yes, angel can also be involved. We touched on what I'm about to say in our Espresso Shots interview. And for those who are interested in breaking into digital marketing, please check out show notes for this episode to see if Emily's Espresso Shots interview has already dropped. But one of the many things that I am just super impressed about with your resume, Emily, is that you quantify the impact that you've had in various roles you've had over the last 10 years. For example, in your prior job as head of growth at The Helm, you note that you increased site visits. The Helm is a venture funded lifestyle brand, by the way, that you increased site visits by almost 1300% and grew social (laughs) media followers by just over 1300% and doubled the newsletter list that The Helm has year on year. I'm guessing that you have some pretty ambitious targets for success at Mobilize, where you've been for less than a year. Could you give us a peek inside, an aspect of the strategy that you've developed to boost the acquisition and retention that you just teased out there at Mobilize, and maybe some of the tactics that you've been using to get there?
1: Yeah, wow, that's a big question. <laughs> so, when I, you mentioned I was their first marketing hire. So, when I joined eight months ago, we had never really put in a foundation of marketing tactics. So, something as simple as a brand guide, where this is the language we use, this is how we speak, this is our tone and our voice and our values and our mission, so that everyone is very literally on the same page when they're representing the company, that wasn't there. So that was the first thing I put into place. They also had never had a formal graphic designer on staff. So their collateral, whether it was their website or a sales deck, looked like a non-designer had made it. And that is totally fine for an early stage company. But once you've raised a Series A, you kind of need to look legitimate. So we found this amazing graphic designer and brought her on and she revamped Everything with me. She's like, my anything that was in my brain, she made it a reality. And we now have a new site and all new collateral. We have amazing one pagers and case studies and testimonials that are all beautifully designed and make us look like a legitimate company. And then from there, it was getting in front of new audiences. So we are really well established in the political arena. We are kind of the go to for the Democratic Party, but we are increasingly branching into the nonprofit space. So We were supposed to launch a big conference called the Nonprofit Technology Conference, or NTC, which was in Baltimore, in March. And we planned a huge booth, amazing dinner, like VIP dinners and happy hours. And we had six speaking sessions. And then, of course, coronavirus came and NTC was canceled. (laughs) So we had to figure out, I know, we had to figure out a way to kind of pivot that to an all virtual version of it. So we have started doing weekly webinars with amazing partners and featuring our clients that are tailoring to various prospects and showing them what we can do. And we've gotten on some great review sites that help generate demand and buyer interest. We have built out case studies, kind of telling the incredible stories of what our partners have achieved using Mobilize. So we're really invested in scaling our revenue, getting into these new verticals for us, and then letting some of our partners do the talking for us and show with those numbers, similar to my resume, what you can accomplish on Mobilize so that it's not only a little like humble brag, but it's, you can't really argue with it. You know, if they tripled their volunteer base using Mobilize, that's a legitimate number. It's very different than them saying like, oh, we love mobilized because it's easy. So we are leaning into that data definitely in our new marketing strategies in this virtual world. We've
0: already mentioned the coronavirus now on a few occasions, but we haven't mentioned the murder of George Floyd and the murder of a number of other Black Americans at the hands of police officers and the subsequent Black Lives Matter demonstrations. How has that affected Mobilize in terms of the potential for new business and a demand for this type of organizing platform?
1: That is a great question. We are really kind of at the center of it. A lot of our clients and partners are doing the work. They're the ones out there doing coronavirus, pandemic relief, and anti-racism work across the country. I mean, Color of Change is, I'm sure, a name everyone has heard of recently, and they're a partner of ours. So all of their organizing with their volunteers and supporters is happening on Mobilize. And then there's so many other groups, big and small, out there that are doing work that we want to support. So a lot of our time and energy has been spent on how can we make their jobs easier right now, and less about how can we monetize off this, obviously, but more how can we contribute to this change that's happening across the country. So we did a couple things. One was originally, since we are an enterprise tech platform, you would have to go through a demo and then various conversations with our sales team to get onboarded. And we very quickly rolled out kind of a self-service sign-on. So someone can literally create a mobilized account for free on that in five minutes and get started organizing that was brand new, and we've had hundreds and hundreds of groups sign up using it. We wanted to make it as easy as possible for these groups to organize and to make a difference. We also rolled out a dashboard called Mobilize Against Racism, which curates all of the Black Lives Matters movements on our platform and all of those events into one central feed. So people can go to mobilize.us against-racism and sign up for any event that is in their area or appeals to them, or is run by a group that they follow. We wanted to make it easy for volunteers as well as organizers to get involved.
0: I'm actually wondering if that isn't a great example of why on your resume, you describe yourself as a business strategist and a growth marketer. Because I think some of the things you've just talked about there could be credited to a sales team.
1: Yes. And I work hand in hand with our amazing partnership team. Between our head of partnership, me and our CEO and president, we sat down and had a heart to heart about putting our business aside right now. What can we do to get involved and to make a difference since we are a mission driven organization? So yeah, that is where the business strategy comes in. And I think the longer you are in a marketing position, and the more you're thinking about, okay, how do I grow this company? And how do I hit this number or make this much money? You kind of get invested in the business strategy overall. It's all kind of tied together.
0: On your resume, you describe yourself, as I just said, as a growth marketer. Is that redundant? Should marketing marketing be
1: about growth or is some marketing not? Some marketing is more about retention. So keeping clients or customers invested and engaged once you've acquired them. But I think most marketing overall is tied to growth. Growth marketing is sort of a buzzword in the startup community since it's really all about taking these small but mighty companies that maybe have potential and scaling them into something big and powerful and profitable. So that is what I love to do. I love growing things. And that is why I have kind of leaned more into the startup world than corporate life. But yeah, you you make a valid point. It is a little redundant.
0: Well, I was just wondering because I think maybe that isn't front of mind for our young listeners who want to get into this space. And I think you're bringing up the importance of data and the fact that this isn't squishy. This really is tangible and it's driven by the numbers or it should be driven by the numbers. Could you take us into a typical day on the job for you? And I'm also guessing there is no typical day, but as (laughs) typical as possible as the marketing lead. Of course, we're in the midst of the coronavirus. I'm wondering if you're still working virtually or if you're back in the office. What's the situation right now in the middle of July?
1: Yeah. We are all working virtually at home. We're about a 35 person company spread out across the country with the bulk of us in New York and DC. So my typical day involves a lot of Zoom meetings, (laughs) just hopping back and forth, talking to everyone on the team. The good thing about marketing and maybe the bad thing on some days is that everybody needs you. So I meet with product and business operations and success and partnerships and our C-suite every day which I love because I am up to speed on what's going on across the company, but it definitely requires that I move about a million miles a minute. So I think the one consistent part of my day is prioritization. We set quarterly goals as a company or OKRs, if you want to use the fancy Google term. And so much of my job is figuring out very singularly, how are we going to hit those goals? And I get a ton of requests, a million different tasks that could be completed, But I have to figure out with our limited bandwidth and with my small team, what can we realistically get done that will have the highest return on our investment? So I am very focused. I work very quickly and I delegate pretty significantly. My team definitely works well above their pay grade and we prioritize all the requests and tasks that come into us each day.
0: So do you have to say no
1: at times? Oh, yes, that is a huge part of the job. And I think being at any startup, saying no is a big part of any job description, even outside of marketing. There's obviously a 100 different things we could do to help grow the company, but we can maybe only get done 20 of them. And so what are those 20? And even if the rest of the team wants us to focus on that 21st, I have to be the one to say, No, we can't get it done, or we will have to sacrifice something else to do so.
0: Emily, what do you think are the most valuable skills our young listeners who are still in college right now should try to get either through their coursework or in
1: internships or
0: part-time jobs?
1: I think... Something that is more, I see less and less of as I'm interviewing people is the ability to like take initiative and dive in head first and having that confidence that you will figure it out as you go and you will learn on the fly more and more interns and entry level people I interview want a little bit of handholding. And there is some of that. If you have a good manager, there should be teaching and there should be some handholding. But especially at a startup or any fast moving company, we want people to have that confidence and self assurance that they can learn and they can figure it out. And that even if they make a mistake, it's not going to be the end of the world. So that is what I look for really is kind of that scrappy mentality. So anything people can do to build that up is hugely valuable.
0: Maybe that's a psychological thing, because what I'm going to ask you here is an opportunity for you to share if you've ever experienced this. I certainly have. And that is what is known as the imposter syndrome. And please, my friends, I want you to know that it doesn't go away When you get older, if you move into more demanding roles and different roles in different industries, I have experienced it. I'm now in my fourth career and in every single one, I started a new career and it was like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I kind of know this little bit, but I have no idea about that. And you can psych yourself out. And I think what Emily is saying is, don't worry, you're going to make mistakes as long as they're not fatal. As long as you haven't like blown the
1: company up
0: and learn (laughs)
1: from it, you'll be okay. A hundred percent. And I have imposter syndrome every day of my life. I think one thing I love about Mobilize is they've hired really intelligent, impressive people. And I like working with people who I think are smarter than me because it means I'm learning. But because of that, I frequently feel like, should I be here? Am I the right person for this role? Am I doing enough? But at the end of the day, you are and just know everyone else also has that imposter syndrome. And it would be really, really difficult perhaps even impossible for someone, especially in an entry-level position to make a mistake that would blow up the company. So have some reassurance that any mistake is fixable. It's not the end of the world. And in fact, you will probably get further by trying to learn things by being hands-on and by diving in first.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Emily. That is huge because I will say, looking at your resume... And looking at so many people's LinkedIn profiles, you can psych yourself out and say, holy crap, this person is just, they have never had any self-doubt. They've just rocked every single job and they know it all and they this and they that. And the truth is, my friends, that it's usually the people who are more type A and it's usually women who end up being much harsher on ourselves. And- As Emily said in our Espresso Shots interview, again, check out show notes to see if that's already dropped. One of the things that she loves about digital marketing is that she is learning every day and the industry is changing so quickly. So if you are not that kind of person, if you like things to be fixed and you want to be in a job that's comfortable where you are not super, super stressed out, you may want to think twice about digital marketing. Because one of the things that I have also loved about my career is that I have put myself very forward on my skis and I have pushed myself way out of my comfort zone, which is both super stressful, but also super exhilarating. If you like the black diamond runs, if you like moguls, then push yourself outside of your comfort zone. So Emily, I usually wait until later in our interview to flashback to when one of my guests was in college. But because you graduated so recently, I thought it would be interesting for our young listeners to learn that even though you've spent the entirety of your professional life in the social media digital marketing space, you didn't study it in school. In
1: fact, that is true.
0: <laughs> your BA and your MA, which you got in 4 years, and were the first in Villanova to complete both a BA and an MA in just four years, was in communication. So what was your first job out of school and how did you get it?
1: So my first job out of school was at Hager Sharp which you mentioned, which was a communications agency in DC. And I worked with education clients in the government sectors and also nonprofit sectors. And I actually got it through my alumni network. So when I was finishing my master's, I was a graduate assistant at Villanova's Alumni Association. And so much of that job was networking And also understanding kind of the tools that I could leverage through our alumni association to land a job. So I took probably a (laughs) 100 informational interviews with alumni just trying to understand, you know, what they did for a living and did they love it and would it be a fit for me and how do I get into it. And I met a woman who worked at Hager Sharp in D.C., NPR and had studied communications at Villanova. And we really clicked. And we kept in touch. And suddenly a job opened at that agency. And she called me and I applied and got it. So it was definitely through a connection. And actually, my next job also came through Villanova's Alumni Association. So a big part of marketing is networking, it's really hard to just kind of send your resume in through an Indeed or a LinkedIn and get an interview from that. You kind of need somebody who knows you who can take your resume and put it on top of the pile. And even beyond that, marketing requires a lot of networking since you do so much collaboration and partnership. So that was a skill I learned in school was um, how to form those connections and then ultimately how to use them to forward my career.
0: Oh my God. 100% And here's another data point for you. Only 5% of people who apply for jobs through an Indeed or one of these other job boards or even company websites actually get hired. 5%. That is wild. The vast majority are through what Emily just cited through people you know, and it doesn't have to be people that are like family friends or people you've known for a long time, could be somebody that you meet online at the grocery store. But it's usually through someone you know, who has either told you about a job that you wouldn't have otherwise known about. And in fact, I want to say over 40% of jobs that are filled are never posted online which is oh, wow. yet again why those relationships matter. Sometimes jobs are created based on the person. I mean, look at Emily, so true. right? Emily's job didn't even exist before she started at Mobilize. And in fact, the same thing was true at Goop.
1: That is true. And actually, when they first approached me at Mobilize, they were hiring a performance marketing manager, which essentially is a more junior person that would just run like Facebook ads and things like that. And I met the CEO, and we clicked right off the bat, and they expanded it into a head of marketing role instead.
0: There you go. There you go. So before we leave Villanova, I want to go back there just for a minute. And I know that you also got a minor in mathematics, and you got a number of graduate certificates in strategic communications, public relations, and journalism. Were you involved in any other extracurricular activities? You also mentioned working with the Alumni Association. So whether it was that or other clubs or nonprofits or part-time jobs in school, that you look back on, Emily, and you say, wow, I was actually honing really valuable skills doing things I enjoyed.
1: Definitely. There's a couple jobs that I had that there's a clear line, and then there's one- extracurricular that will probably be a surprise but I'll get to that. So the jobs, I worked in our writing center at Villanova and to do so you had to be recommended from a professor and then take a semester long course on tutoring and writing to do it. So it was a very competitive process and really honed my writing skills and I loved helping fellow students craft and shape their papers and that keeping my writing skills sharp has definitely benefited me hugely working in marketing. I also interned at Simon & Schuster, the book publisher in the summer. Both of my parents are book publishers. So it was kind of in my blood <laughs> and okay. got to learn a lot about publicity and PR there. And then also at school, I worked in our theater's box office and got to learn a bit about sales and just general business operations there. The one that I think people wouldn't think I would credit to some of my success is that I also was part of our theater group at Villanova. So I would perform in straight plays twice a year. And I think that has benefited me across the board because it has helped me one with my public speaking two with my confidence, because you have to get up on stage and entertain crowds for the night. And then also, I had to memorize huge amounts of text. And that kept my brain really sharp and thinking creatively. So I have always felt like honing those skills helped me in my career.
0: Love it. And I actually am not surprised to hear that about theater. And there's a whole nother thing I could tell you about that. But trust Emily, that Being involved in any kind of performance, whether it's improv or stand up or whatever it is, theater is valuable in addition to being a lot of fun. I'm actually really curious, Emily. It makes sense for someone who's looking at your resume to say that you would go to work at a firm like Hager Sharp, where you worked as an account coordinator. And I know you said that it was another Villanova alum that I guess, either told you about American Express Publishing or maybe even helped you get the job there. But how did you make the mental jump and just kind of think that you could do marketing moving from an account coordinator in communications kind of public relations and get into the new job at American Express Publishing as the manager of digital communications and social marketing?
1: Yeah. So that was a unique situation. So I was in DC at Hager Sharp. And I had met a Villanova alum who introduced me to this other woman who had that job at American Express Publishing. So she was the manager at that time. And she was about to go on maternity leave. So she was looking for someone to fill in for her while she was on maternity leave, and then hopefully be hired once she returned. So I took the leap, I wanted to move back home to New York and thought the job sounded super fascinating. I always wanted to work in magazines. So she gave me the chance and I jumped on the team. The good thing about that job was it actually sat on the corporate communications team. So it was technically still PR. So I could make the case that I had worked on these great clients and at a PR agency and I would be able to take over for her while she was on maternity leave on the PR team. What was more challenging was when she was coming back for maternity leave. (laughs) So I, at that point, had really established myself as kind of the social media thought leader at the company and had really taken the charge on digital PR initiative. And in that, had worked very closely with the audience development team. And audience development is just the magazine industry's word for digital marketing. So by working closely with them, a position opened on their team and they kind of scooped me up. And that was how I made the jump from PR to marketing. And it was just a much better fit for me. As much as I love PR, I missed the data and numbers and more of the business strategy that is involved with marketing. So getting enough exposure to it in the social media role was a great way for me to kind of test it out before making the full leap.
0: When you say you missed it, where had you seen that before?
1: Well, so at Villanova, I was a communication major and a math minor, which is, I know, the weirdest combination ever, but I love numbers and I love math. And that is just not something that plays into PR very much. It's much more heavy on the writing side of things. So I wanted to get back into a job that let me flex the analytical side of my brain a bit more.
0: Gotcha. But you did not have experience in marketing. Did you do any cramming, any online certifications or just little courses. You mentioned you in our Espresso Shots interview that you took an Excel course at General Assembly. It was like 35 bucks, super cheap. Did you do anything in your free time to bone up and improve your skill set?
1: Yes, we at the time were using Adobe Analytics, or it used to be called Omniture. And I took a certification course in that because I had no idea how to use it. And it was something that was kind of expected of me on day one. And I also started signing up for newsletters and reading industry websites and trying to network and talk to other people in similar fields just to learn as much as I can. But so much of it really, especially in that role where your first time in a field was picking your manager's brains and your teammates' brains and getting your hands dirty and raising your hand to take on projects and trying to just learn as much as you can on the go.
0: Oh my God, a hundred percent. Every single new career that I moved into, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours of my free time studying and reading and learning. And don't think that the people who are successful in other careers haven't done the same thing. This goes to Emily's point that she made in the Espresso Shots interview about one of the skills, one of the soft skills that is most valuable that she looks for in the young people she hires is that you're a self-starter. I wanna pause here, Emily, and ask you a question that I try to ask all of my guests. And that is if you would share a time in your professional life when you struggled, And for anyone who's had the pleasure of looking at your resume, as I've said, it is super impressive. It's really unique and user-friendly. It might appear that you have had nothing but smooth sailing from the time you graduated. But I read a blog post that you wrote, not sure if it was in 2018 or 2019, while you were the head of growth at another e-commerce brand called The Helm in which you shared a personal tragedy that you experienced a few years ago when your beloved mother was diagnosed with one of the world's rarest and most incurable cancers. And you hinted at the professional struggles you'd been experiencing at the same time. And I'm going to read from your post, Emily. There I was, 24, and switching roles with my parent, becoming the caretaker I hadn't planned to become for another 30 years. I was her right hand, spending half of my time at her house, another chunk of time in hospitals and doctor's offices, always trying to be five steps ahead of whatever she needed. Unhappy at my job and questioning my priorities, I took a leap and diverged from my fast track to success game plan that had been going so smoothly. Would you mind sharing with our listeners, Emily, what was going on behind the scenes at that job? I think it was a Goop and maybe a lesson that you took away from that difficult experience.
1: Yeah, that was a really hard time in my life. I was at Goop. I was reporting to the CEO at the time who's no longer there. And I was trying to keep all of my personal life items separate from work. So nobody at work knew what I was going through, except the CEO who was my boss, and she was not understanding about it. So if I had to leave work to go to the hospital very quickly or to like the ICU to help my mom, she would not be flexible about that. And at the same time, they were talking about moving the company from New York to LA, And I grew up in New Jersey, right outside New York. So I physically could not leave, I had to stay here. And more and more, I was realizing that I could not maintain a full time role at Goop. I did later consult for them for many years and have a great relationship with them. But the role at the time was just not feasible, given everything that was going on. You know, if choosing between helping my mom or making my boss happy, the choice was pretty obvious to me. So I left, I quit and I did not have another job lined up, which was terrifying. Because as you mentioned, I think at that point, I was 25. I had been consulting a little bit on the side and thought, I'll just do this. And I'll just make that my paycheck for now. And I'll be able to work from home and I can work from the hospital, I can work from my mom's house. And it Was never what I wanted to do. I never wanted to work for myself. I never wanted to consult. I loved working for amazing brands that I could grow, but it was necessary. And it took me on a path that I didn't expect. You know, my mom ended up passing away a little less than a year later. And I am so grateful that I had chosen to take that path because I would not have been able to navigate the grieving process if I didn't have that flexibility of working for myself. And years later, you know, probably about a Two years ago, I started feeling like I was ready to jump back in full time somewhere and I could set aside my consulting life and kind of pick up on the path that I had originally planned on. So that was a huge speed bump. That was more than three years where I was not working in house somewhere and I was working for myself. had never planned to. I liked aspects of it. I did not like other aspects of it. But that's what happens in life. You get thrown curveballs and you have to figure out how to kind of make your career work around that and just Keep in mind that family and friends and health and happiness will always be more important than the work that you're doing.
0: Well, I'm so sorry for your loss, Emily, and I'm really grateful to you for sharing that with us. I can't even imagine what that would have been like to grapple with at such a young age. And I know that you have a tattoo now on your left arm.
1: (laughs) I do. Yes. It says take the world by storm. It is in my mom's handwriting. She wrote it in a card to me when I got my master's and I went to a great tattoo parlor in Manhattan and they transferred her exact handwriting onto my arm. So it is my little mantra and my little reminder each day to keep moving forward. Final
0: time for coffee question. If you could go back to college back to Villanova and do it all over again. But based on the
1: wisdom you have
0: now, Emily, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I would probably do a lot differently. I had a unique college experience in that I came into school with a full year of credits completed from finishing AP courses in high school. So I knew coming in, I would graduate in three years. And I loved Villanova and I didn't want to leave. They had to drag me kicking and screaming off that campus. And I figured out a way to stay on for a fourth year by doing a five-year bachelor's and master's program in four years. So my senior year was spent full-time in grad school, which was weird. You know, I was 21 years old and in class with people who'd been in careers for a decade or more. And it was a huge challenge and definitely helped build up my confidence knowing that I could take on something like that. But if I were to go back again, I would not do grad school right away. I think the people who get the most value out of grad school, leave college with their bachelor's or whatever undergrad degree, go into a career for a few years, really figure out what they want to do, and then go back to grad school and do a program that's tailored to their passion. For me, I did grad school to fill a fourth year because I wanted to stay on campus with my friends. And it was in journalism and PR and strategic communication. And some of that has definitely benefited me in my career. But if I were to go back now, as I mentioned, I would think about doing an MBA or some sort of business-oriented course instead. So that would probably be the biggest change that I would make. I would give myself a few years of working time before making the graduate school decision.
0: So smart. If you want to learn more about how to break into digital marketing, check out the show notes for this episode to see if Emily's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Emily, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are such an impressive young woman. Mobilize is so fortunate to have you leading their marketing efforts.
1: Thank you so much, Andrea. It's been so fun talking with
0: you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.